Sometimes you feel so alone and overwhelmed, you don't know where to turn. These days, it seems like there is no end to our problems. We invite you to connect with Silent Unity, the 24-hour prayer ministry where someone is waiting to pray with you right now. Since 1890, Silent Unity has always been there. No judgment or dogma, just someone affirming the best for you. Call 816-969-2000 today. You can also connect online at unityprayervigil.org. Thanks for joining us. This is Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. Welcome to the Yoga Hour, offering insights and practices for spiritually conscious living in today's world. Here is your host, Dr. Laurel Trujillo. Good morning, or maybe where you are, it's afternoon, but at any rate, welcome to the Yoga Hour, where we talk about yoga in all its depth and breadth as a path to spiritually conscious, fulfilled living in today's world. I'm Dr. Laurel Trujillo, host and producer of the show, and our topic today is Ayurvedic self-care for natural healing. My guest today is Kate O'Donnell, author of the new book, The Everyday Ayurveda Guide to Self-Care, Rhythms, Routines, and Home Remedies for Natural Healing. Kate O'Donnell is a nationally certified Ayurvedic practitioner, and the founder of the Ayurvedic Living Institute. She also teaches Ashtanga Yoga in uh, Boston and Portland, Maine, and still travels to India annually for study. She is the author of two Ayurvedic recipe books and of the book we will be discussing today, The Everyday Guide uh, to Self-Care. So welcome, Kate O'Donnell. I'm so glad you could join me today on the Yoga Hour. Thanks, Laurel. It's good to be on again. I always enjoy it. Yeah. So before we dive into our dialogue about Ayurvedic self-care for natural healing, let's begin as we mean to go on. Let's start with a yoga moment. So let's begin, wherever we are, whatever we're doing, just bringing our attention to our body and feeling whatever surfaces are supporting our body in this moment, whether we're sitting or walking or driving, just feeling that support, feeling all of the places that our bodies touch that support, and then turning our attention to our breath, that constant companion that we have that can help bring our attention into this moment, let's notice as we take a fully conscious breath, feeling the inhale and the exhale. Noticing on the next inhale, the cool air in the nostrils. And on the next exhale, the warm air flowing out. And as we rest right here, right now, here's something to contemplate from the Yoga Hour's founder, Yogacharya Ellen Grace O'Brien, taken from her book, Living for the Sake of the Soul. Every cell of our body is vibrant with divine power and wisdom. Learn to listen to its music 
attend to its prompts toward right action. Though the body continually sends out signals and clues for self-care and balanced living, too often we ignore those signals. We neglect to eat when we are hungry or sleep when we are tired. Learning to discern and heed the simple promptings of body wisdom is profoundly more important than accumulating information about healthy living. Study the book of life, the signals of the body, the nudges of our conscience. Witness the way your heart opens into the beauty of the day, given enough space. So once again, Kate O'Donnell, welcome to the show. It's really delightful to have you back as a guest and to discuss your beautiful new book, The Everyday Ayurveda Guide to Self-Care. So your background in yoga and Ayurveda goes back, I know, more than 20 years, and your previous books were Ayurveda cookbooks that shared simple, healthy, and delicious recipes. And I must say, I, I, I do really love your cookbooks. So if people are looking for some guidance about how to seasonally um, more information about how to seasonally change uh, recipes. I think those are really great resources as well. But what inspired you to write this new book on Ayurvedic self-care? I feel like, it, in a way, Laurel, this was the book that I want, have been wanting to write for a long time. Um, I really appreciate the depth of understanding about the human system that Ayurveda gives us. So I had to start with the cooking because the diet is such a big part of the overall health and healing picture. And I realized when I started practicing Ayurveda with the public that a lot of people were disconnected from their food mm-hmm. and the activity of preparing their own food. And so I had to write a cookbook with very simple recipes. Right. You know, and so that I kind of had to get that out of the way. halfway through writing and it's not because I'm a chef or anything you know I am interested in food I have always been playing around in the kitchen I do make most of my own food but halfway through writing that first book I realized that we had to have a conversation about the mind Mm. for listeners who practice yoga you know we know how much psychology is a part of of health right you know and Ayurveda has a really distinct language for that. And, and it also corresponds to food and diet and our daily living. So I had to write sort of that book to find, <laughs> you know. Right, yeah. Then I arrived at the self-care book where I said, okay, we've got the cooking thing. We've got the kitchen business covered. So now I want to expand the view of the body. I feel like a lot of the books we have presently about Ayurveda only go so far. Mm. It tells us about the five elements and the three doshas, which we can discuss a little bit today. But there's more. You know, there's the channels through which everything is moving around the body, which includes the nadis, which our yoga friends will be familiar with. Right. And the tissues, the different tissue layers of the body, like our nerves versus our bones versus our blood. Right. And I really feel like if um, I feel like we're ready, you know, we're ready to talk m- more about 
the body. And I, I think that the, the deeper our understanding of the body goes, of its physicality, as well as its dynamic movements, the more tools we have to mm-hmm. do self-healing for in our own lives. Yeah. Well, as I said, it's a really beautiful book. It's beautifully photographed, and I feel like the writing is really is really clear. So if people are interested, I, I do highly recommend it. So both Ayurveda and yoga are sister sciences, and they're, they both are rooted in the ancient Vedas. And as you mentioned, there's so much information there that as a Western-trained physician, I really appreciate because Ayurveda looks at us, as, at each of us, as a microcosm but really sees us as the connection, you know, with the connection to the macrocosm, to the outside world in a way that I think is just really beautiful and can guide self-care that because Western medicine doesn't have this layer of understanding about that, about, you know, how the seasons change and how we need to change with the seasons, how even the daily rhythm changes and how we can really work with that. It, I'm just, I really have appreciated that about Ayurveda. So you'd say more, a little bit more about this relationship between the microcosm of each of us and how that relates to the macrocosm. Yeah, it's a great question, Laurel. I think the bottom line is that human beings are affected by our environment. So that includes the food that we eat. It includes our climate, like our, the, the changing weather, or whether you live in uh, an arid climate like Arizona or a very moist place like where I live in Maine. Mm-hmm. And, and also we're affected by the energy around us of the, the people that we're in association with. So what I think is so great about how Ayurveda describes microcosm and macrocosm is that on a very physical nuts and bolts level, we're made of the same stuff. (laughs) So everything in the tangible universe is composed of the five elements, whether it's a tree or a squirrel or a carrot or a human body. It's we're all made up of these same building blocks. Mm -hmm. And so in that way, it's like if there's, you know, fire being one of those elements, say there's more fire in your environment, like it's a hot day, Mm -hmm. there's more fire reflecting in in the human body as this microcosm of what's going on um, in the universe, you know, and the astrology is included as well. In the ancient sciences, we look also at the influence of the planet's Mm-hmm. on our health mentally as well as physically so it's this really inclusive science that i think what it means for us today that's very useful and helpful is hey you know it's cold out today <laughs> that matters <laughs> I, right. I can eat warm food i can dress warmer and it's very commonsensical you know it's not right. rocket science when we really start to observe the ways in which human beings are in this symbiosis with our environment all the time. Right, indeed. Yes, and and I love how Ayurveda really looks at the unique individual and that we're each different and that how different things affect us is different based on our inherent constitution, which is something that Western medicine, I think, is getting into, you know, with more like genomic analysis and that stuff. But for me, that's been a part sort of been missing from Western medicine. So it's really lovely. Ayurveda has so much information about that. So let's start with what is the Ayurvedic definition of health? Well, the, the sort of short 
short answer to that is the word swasta, mm -hmm. which, which loosely means health. Um, but what swasta actually, if we were to take break it down into its parts, that word means uh, to be seated in the self, mm. like the self with a capital S. So sort of um, to be seated in the soul aspect of ourselves. And the way I describe that, like for just the common everyday use is, is to feel comfortable in our own skin, mm -hmm. you know, to feel, um, to feel like we are fully embodying ourselves, mm -hmm. you know, what we're here to do. And that also just includes our physicality, you know, like, wow, I have this real tendency to, to just get amped up, move too fast, eat too fast, you know? So I'm going to, I'm going to look at that and I'm going to try to slow that down. Right. And so it's it, the idea is is that we create this um, relationship with the self that is the substratum for health and for healing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I love that actually about both Ayurveda and yoga. And of course, it's one of the you know, that self study aspect that you're pointing to is one of the three main aspects of yoga as defined in the yoga sutras, Patanjali's yoga sutras, you know, the other, so it's, you know, self-discipline, self-study and self-surrender. So self-study is right up there. And what you're pointing to is that we each have our own constitution, as I was mentioning, it really, Ayurveda looks at us as individuals. And so we need to study ourselves and see what our tendencies are, and then and how to, how to work with that and bring it more into into balance. So you mentioned doshas already. So let's stop there a moment because there are, I, I know some people who are listening who may not be familiar with this concept. So can you give us an overview of these three doshas as they're called, vata, pitta, and, and kapha? Because I know as we move into the second segment of the show, we're going to be talking about the daily rhythm and the seasonal rhythm. So give us some background there. Yeah, I'll see if I can, I can break that down quickly. Um, so, the building blocks of the human body, like everything in the universe, is these five elements, which, which are uh, space, air, fire, water, and earth. And that's how we get our individual constitution, is by having sort of different amounts of those elements. You know, we right. get that's our DNA, you know, it's based right. on kind of the, what your parents gave you for genetic, right. genetic information. So, you know, if your mom runs hot, your dad's a little spacey, you, know, you end up with this constitution where you're, you're having a little more fire and a little more air. And so when we talk about human bodies specifically, the language then goes from five elements to three doshas. So each of those three doshas is a compound that's composed of two elements. And these, these elements compound in ways based on kind of the laws of nature. Like, for instance, space and air compound together. Because air, if you think about air, and this is where, again, the study is so cool. Like, you know how a lot of yoga postures are named after animals? Right. You know, and you imagine the, the rishis sort of studying the movements of a swan, mm -hmm. noticing qualities of swans, you know? And so in this posture, we embody swan-like quality. So it's right. kind of similar with that. And, and I do study um, 
nature a lot in order to understand the elements and the doshas. So if you look at the sky, you know, and there's, there's some clouds up there, are they ever still, mm. right? They're always moving. And that's, yeah. our, that's the air of our planet, our atmosphere. The air element is constantly in motion and it's its nature. So that's that aspect in human beings of moving things around. Like when we eat food, you know, it goes in the mouth and then it knows, like it keeps moving. It goes down, <laughs> right? And it goes through the whole process and we don't have to think about it. Right. So, that's just if I can interject there. Yeah. So I think that's so lovely. I think people sometimes have a sort of a static idea of these doshas. Oh, I'm more vata, you know, I'm more, you know, pitta, which we'll talk about in a minute. But really, everyone has all of these because vata governs movement in in the body. So it's not just that you're, you know, that you're pitta. You also have some vata in there because things need to move. Your blood needs to move. Your food needs to move your, through your digestive tract. So I think that's, I don't know, for me, that was a helpful way of looking at it, that these are all, everybody has all of these in themselves. Right. Absolutely. And they, each, each of these compounds has a job to do. Right. Which another one of the misconceptions is that doshas are bad. Right. You know, and so it's right. like, oh, I'm, I'm pitta. It's like, no, you're not. You're <laughs> more than that. That's right. Yeah. So the, um, I'll just kind of quickly describe like the, each compound and its attributes. And, yeah, and sure. some of our listeners might find very clearly that they resonate with one of these compounds. It's common also to be what we'll call dual doshic, where you're, you're resonating with not just one, but two, two of these doshas, but everyone has all three, or we would be in big trouble. Right. <laughs> so vata is that combination of space and air, because space creates the field for air to move around. Right. Right. So again, our digestive tract is this big tube, and it's a space. Right. Right. From the mouth to the anus. And it's within that that all this movement of digestive process is going on, which is very much governed by vata. So we all need that. Right. And we all have that. And then the next compound is uh, between fire and water. And that's because if you had, you know, fire, it would just burn everything. Right. So it's like it's in a container of water, we could say. Mm -hmm. And that creates fire water which is basically acid. So it's like the acidic quality in the body that, that transforms and digests things. Mm -hmm. We call it pitta, which right. means that which digests. Right, and I love that that uh, transformative quality of pitta, that that's sort of its function, is that transformation. I love that. Right, and therefore it governs like our neural activity where information is being transformed into comprehension as well as our, our hormones, mm -hmm. you know, like food as building blocks are, are then transformed into all these different compounds in our bodies. And so that's Pitta that's doing all that. So it's physical, it's cerebral, and it's also energetic. Right. So if you think about like fire, again, one of these nature studies is, you know, does a forest fire say, oh, I'm just going to burn that tree over there? Right. No, it goes poof, right? <laughs> that's right. And so with Pitta tends to come that, uh, that like zest for life, kind of very mm. powerful personality and, and a powerful energy that um, is awesome, but can also be problematic if it's in right. excess. So the Pitta's types are the ones that run hot. 
Mm -hmm. Your vata types are the ones that run cold. Mm-hmm. But the prevalence is not of fire, it's of air, which if you stand on top of a mountain, you can feel the coldness there. Right. And then our last um, functional friend is called kappa, and that's the combination of water and earth. Mm-hmm. Because as I like to describe, if you go to the beach to build a sandcastle and you just have dry sand, it won't stick together. You can't mm-hmm. build anything. So you get this compound that has like a glue-like quality to it called mm-hmm. cup. It provides uh, lubrication and structure and cohesion for the body. Right. Or it's like the building aspect of our bodies. Right. And as and I love describing them that way, that cohesion, because, you know, instead of just saying like, you know, as you were pointing to, I'm a pitta, for example, it's like everybody needs these because everybody needs movement in their body. Everybody needs transformation in their body and everybody needs structure in their body or we, we all just kind of just be a blob. So we really need all three. Right, right. So your your kappa types tend to be, it's this kind of stickier, heavier constitution. So they tend to um, kind of need more movement and exercise and a lighter diet. Um and there's a tendency to be kind of mucusy, like mm-hmm. these are the people who might not digest dairy that, that well. Right. Right. So if we think about the qualities of the elements, like hot versus cold, sticky versus dry, that's how we, that's like what I call our toolbox. Right. You know, right. so you know your body tends to be sticky. Well, okay, what time of year is sticky? What foods are sticky? Right. Mm-hmm. And then how create that balance and so that's really how how Ayurveda works and how a knowledge of our individual constitution is just giving us information about the tendencies of our body right right absolutely so the other thing I really wanted to at least touch on just to give people just a tiny bit of background is something you also mentioned earlier which are the datus so Let's just talk briefly about that. We've got maybe four or so minutes before the break. And uh, just give people like a little toe dip, you know, into this idea of of the Ayurveda view of the body and the datus. Right. So the datus are the tissues. So we were just talking about structure, right? So we're not blobs because we have these, these structural aspects to the body. So there are seven different tissue layers in in the Ayurvedic view of the body. And they sort of go from superficial to deep. So I'll list them in the order, starting with superficial, right? And they get deeper as we go. So the first tissue layer is is rasa datu. Rasa means juice. So it's Mm -hmm. like our juiciness and it's, Mm -hmm. it's plasma, the white part of the blood. So it includes white blood cells, lymphatic fluid, and it's definitely responsible for our immunity and our energy. And the second tissue layer is called rakta datu, and that rakta means red, and that's the red blood, red blood cells. And its job is oxygenation, which is called jivana, which which means to bring life, like life. Mm-hmm. And that is essentially what red blood cells do from a Western right. perspective, right, is, is oxygenate the, the, the body. Right. So the blood is seen not as one tissue layer, but as two in Ayurveda, that we have kind of the white part and the red part, which have different functions. And then the third 
tissue layer is mamsa datu, which is the muscle tissue, which is closely related to the red blood, right? That muscle tissue is always being sort of powered up by, by the datu previous to it. And the next is uh, fat tissue made of datu, followed by asti datu, which is the bone tissue. The sixth tissue, this is where it starts, as we get deeper, they start to be a little uh, more um, interesting to me, but a little like juicier, I think, to talk about. So mm. the sixth layer is um, maja datu, which is the nerves, the nervous tissue of the body, um, primarily the bone marrow, actually. Mm. But also, if you think about like your actual nerves, they do have, they, they, they're like dental floss, you know, they're that fine, but all of those nerves do have a tissue. And in this, we can include um, the myelin sheath as well, like the, the, the juice that covers the spine, right? So all those tissues that um, create conduction, nervous conduction are included there. And then our last layer, the seventh datu is the shukra, and arthavadatus, which is male and female reproductive tissue, which includes, uh, you know, the sperm and the egg and the testes and the uterus, the ovaries, mm -hmm. those um, tissue parts. So the datus are, they're static, where the doshas are moving around and very mm -hmm. active. The datus are that aspect of our bodies that are um, stable. Right. Yeah. So how are and I'm this is not even really fair because we don't have time to really talk about it but how do the datus stay in balance and I know it had maybe you can just give like a little just a little morsel and we'll come back to it right after the break yeah you know a lot of the balance of the datus has to do with nutrition so mm. we come back to food and digestion again um, because each datu needs to be nourished we need to like juice up our blood and our nerves and our bones, right? Mm -hmm. And so one layer starts to become deficient, like dominoes, it's gonna cause reverberations throughout the entire system. Right, great, great overview. And we'll come back to it just uh, in just a minute. You're listening to The Yoga Hour with our guest, Kate O'Donnell, author of the book we're discussing today, The Everyday Guide um, the Everyday Ayurveda Guide to Self-Care, Rhythms, Routines, and Home Remedies for Natural Healing. You can find out more about Kate's books, online programs, and individual consultations at her website, kateodonnell.yoga, kateodonnell.yoga. I'm Dr. Laurel Trujillo. Please stay with us. We'll be right back. Let go of everyday worries and find your calm with positive prayer from Silent Unity, the newest in voice-activated technology, available on any Alexa-enabled device like the Amazon Echo. Each prayer and meditation on positive prayer will help strengthen, guide, and comfort you. To enable it, just say, Alexa, open positive prayer. You can ask for a specific prayer on topics like healing, prosperity, and comfort. Give it a try today. Experience the difference. 
Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. Welcome back to the Yoga Hour. Insights and practices for spiritually conscious living. Welcome back from the break. I'm speaking today with Kate O'Donnell, an Ayurvedic practitioner, authorized Ashtanga yoga instructor, and who also specializes in teaching cooking skills and cleansing programs. So, so Kate, let's come back to where we left off with the Datus. You gave such a beautiful overview about this very complex, uh, you know, um, idea from Ayurveda about these Datus. And can you just say a little bit more about balance and Ayurveda? Well, the idea, if we think about the body as this interrelated system, is that if one if one part starts to go off out of balance, then everything else eventually will be affected. Uh, so balance is it's a, in the beginning it's simple. You know the idea is to is to catch in balance before it really starts to lodge in the body, and that that right. takes some time. There's these very clear stages. So uh, the way that we view balance and imbalance is through the, the qualities in the body. Right. So like if something is too heavy versus too light, you know, mm-hmm. too heavy, like cholesterol is an example, you know, mm-hmm. it's kind of heavy, hard to remove fats. If a body is like creating too much of that or not getting rid of it, you know, in the very early stages where the body starts to leave this fat, you know, sticking around in the arteries, for example, they would be much easier to sort of mobilize the, the digestion and, and get that stuff out of there. And then as time goes by, it, it, it lodges. Mm-hmm. The texture of, of it actually changes, you know, it mm-hmm. gets thicker and stickier. Mm-hmm. And so the way we address balance in Ayurveda is to, to kind of like work in small ways on a daily basis to just keep the qualities of our body in balance. So that we don't we don't end up with this accumulation or aggravation of of a certain quality like heat or cold or stickiness, for example. Right. Absolutely. That's such a great uh, segue into what we want to talk about next, which is the daily routine or dinacharya. So um, let's let's just turn to that. Dinacharya is really a um, very fundamental in Ayurvedic lifestyle and dinacharya is our daily routine. So why is maintaining a daily routine important? Dinacharya is, so that word kind of is used in two ways. One way is to um, describe a group of practices. Dinacharya are like the things that we do. So you'll say like, oh, um, you know, I got up and did my dinacharya today. And a lot of that includes care of the senses, like the eyes and ears, the nose, the skin. And it involves nourishment as well as purification. Because bodies, you know, there's all this transformation going on in bodies all the time, all of this mm-hmm. digestion and assimilation. And so there's naturally waste products being created, mm-hmm. you know. And so the helping the body to remove those wastes in the morning, that's one of the ways that we use the word dinacharya to describe morning morning purification practice. 
the other way we use that word is is as you're describing sort of daily routine uh, because due to the rising and the setting of the sun right the day is the qualities of the day is going through changes mm-hmm. warmer at midday and cooler mm-hmm. at night you know yeah. and so for example uh, one of the big dinacharyas is to eat a midday meal mm-hmm. because that fire element that we discussed earlier is at its strongest at the midday, you know, when the sun is sort of at its zenith. And so the body being a microcosm is, is responding to that. And so the fire element in the body, which its primary job is, is to be hydrochloric acid in the stomach. Mm-hmm. And that's food, right? So it's like our digestion and our absorption are going to be better when we eat food at midday. Mm-hmm. These different, because of the way that the day is changing, there are things, it's more appropriate to do certain things at certain times. So the Dinacharya really, it's, it's about sort of when we eat and when we sleep, when we exercise. Yeah, those are the three big ones, right? You yeah. know, so having like a set bedtime, set time to wake up, set time to exercise and, and trying to keep regular um, times for meals. Those are to me, the big ones of the, you know, of your daily schedule. So um, I'm, I'm thinking we're, we're going to be going into um, the seasons. Um, actually, why don't, why don't we talk about that in relationship to where we are right now? You know, so can you talk a little bit you, you sort of alluded to the fact that these doshas cycle throughout the day, and then they also cycle throughout the the uh, seasons. So here we are. If people are listening to this close to the time we're recording it, this is now early December. So we're really moving into winter. The second part of, of fall is really more winter-like. So um, can you just, let's start there. What what's What's happening now in the outside world, and how do we need to take account of that for our self-care? So winter is what we call the Vata time of year, fall and winter. And that's because the climate in, in winter is similar to the qualities of Vata dosha. So remembering that Vata is composed of space and air. And I get the example of sort of standing on top of a mountain, right? Mm-hmm, so the, right. the qualities you get from space and air, it's cold and dry and light. Right. Light as opposed to like, you know, like a dank, rainy day, you know, where it's like humid, raining, like that's heavy. Right. And so it's very clear and light, that kind of crisp, what we would call crisp weather that you get yeah. in the fall and the winter. And a lot of that comes from the dryness. Mm-hmm. So in the winter, the moisture in the air can even be frozen in some places. So there's not as much moisture available to the body in the winter. So mm-hmm. it's Vata time of year because it's it's cold and it's dry. So our body, the Vata, those elements in our body then begin to kind of increase. Right. We become colder, we become drier, right? right. And things can be lighter. And so what we need is like grounding items to balance that. Absolutely. So maybe just mention a few of the ways people might notice if they were starting to have a vata imbalance. So what are some signs of that? Like you mentioned cold and I know one of them is having cold hands and feet, right? Yeah. Right. Yeah. So the coldness, the, the first place we'll notice it is, is the hands and feet, the extremities. 
And there are some people who kind of may always have that, mm-hmm. right? Which can, can kind of give you a hint that there's uh, a lot of vata in one's constitution. Right. And a lot of us are likely to experience it during the vata time of year. So the coldness will be in the hands and feet, but also in the digestion too. Like if we're really paying attention, it, it'll be natural to gravitate away from cold food. Right. You know, like an iced drink or mm-hmm. a salad, that kind of thing. It's, if right. you listen, it's like, oh, that doesn't sound very good. Right. Yeah. We want soups, right? Stews. Yeah. Right. Hot tea, you know, instead right. of cold drink. And, and again, as I said, a lot of it is commonsensical. Right. The problem is that when, when we become out of balance, we, it's like we lose the ability to make the right choice. Mm-hmm. Our cravings kind of go off a little bit. Mm-hmm. We might start to crave like cold stuff, even though it's cold outside. Right. Yeah. And then getting back to those signs of imbalance. So you mentioned dryness. And I know dryness, people might notice increased dryness in their skin, which could be a sign of, you know, a little bit of a beginning vata imbalance. And then the colon. Can you talk about the vata relationship with the colon? Right. Yeah. So the each of the doshas actually has a home in the body where it right. remains because that's where there are the most of those elements. So the, the largest space in the human body is actually the colon. Hmm. So, intestine it's funny because i don't know that we think of it as a space no no in there right but it's because it's the biggest space it's what we call sort of the seat of vata and so if we do begin to get dry for example we might notice it first in the colon actually so a dry colon is like uh you'll you'll notice it in the stool Mm. the stool becomes dry Mm-hmm. You know, maybe it doesn't pass as easily, right. um, and there can be more air, more gas. Mm-hmm. And if if this goes on for like a week or or two, you know, and we don't rehydrate the colon, we might even start to get constipated because mm-hmm. that mucous membrane of the colon starts to dry out. Mm-hmm. You might. It's an interesting thing because dryness anywhere in the body is dryness everywhere, hmm. right? That's the way we look at the body in, in Ayurveda. So if your skin starts to dry out in the fall or winter, you might notice it on your scalp. You might just have these certain spots, you know, like your hands or your legs or something that start to get dry. But when you start to notice it, that's that's the time to get on it. Because mm-hmm. that dryness, is it's not only there in that visible organ of the skin, it's also happening internally mm-hmm. in our mucous membranes and dryness is I think I would um I would say it's the biggest troublemaker of mm. Mahatosha is is its dryness and so mm. I think that's the main thing we want to keep an eye on this time of year mm-hmm. other signs can also be um even our mental state right like increased anxiety because anxiety is associated with with vata so right. So say you are noticing, as, as you're listening to this program, you're noticing, hmm, I notice that my skin is dry and my yeah, I'm having a little bit more of a problem with perhaps a tendency towards constipation. I'm a little bit more anxious. So how, what are some self-care things that people can do at this particular time of year? 
Right. Yeah. I so we want to increase qualities that balance vata, which is warm and moist. Mm-hmm. Maybe a little bit kind of heavy. Mm-hmm. Also, right. So one of the things that's really hip right now are, is the weighted blanket. Have mm. you about that? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's because everyone's vata is, is whacked out. There's a lot of anxiety right now, you know, over right. the, the past year. And the weighted blanket is it's heavy. That is so great. I hadn't made that connection. So that's that's really lovely. So a weighted blanket weighted and... Right. Yeah, it's, it's not going to help your dry skin. Right. right. But right. If, if it's an anxiety thing, definitely, definitely. It's, it's grounding, as you're pointing to. And so if we're thinking of the, the vata as air and space, then what we want is we want that grounding, that grounding aspect. Right, right, right. So we can do that through um, something like a, a weighted blanket or something like uh, our yoga, daily yoga could become a little more forward bending, a little more closed chain kind of postures where the limbs are being supported by the ground, you know, those mm-hmm. kind of Mm-hmm. Um, and warm food is huge. Right. I've seen people turn around all sorts of problems just by eating three meals a day, warm food. Right. Like a hot breakfast cereal instead of a cold one. Right. Soups and stews, like steamed and cooked vegetables instead of raw in a salad. Right. And um, just cooking the food instead of having it raw is big and, and making sure that everything's warm. That makes mm-hmm. a really big difference. And it, if you, if you pay attention, we'll notice that warm food is also a little more grounding, mm-hmm. a little more dense, mm-hmm. you know, and right. then you want to add moisture to, to the food, a little bit of good fats. Right. Fat is like the antidote to Vata imbalance. And so right. we use that internally as well as externally. Right. So lots of soups and stews and a weighted blanket. And I wanted to return back to this idea about this daily schedule, because I think in particular daily schedule, keeping the same time for sleep, going to sleep and waking up for exercise and then for meals is super important at this time of year. So can you say more about that? Yeah, it's, there's a huge one, Laurel. So if Vata governs all of our movement processes, right? Like uh, digestion, elimination, circulation, menstruation for women. All of these movement processes operate in rhythm, mm-hmm. right? Like you tend to, we ask, are you regular? You know, right. at the same time of day, every day, you mm-hmm. know, our sleep cycles like to be rhythmic. Bodies like to be rhythmic. Right? especially those processes that I just listed. And that's where on a lifestyle level, the best thing we can do for managing Vata, which tends to get imbalanced in the winter time because winter's qualities are same as Vata. The best thing we can do is, is to establish a rhythm, a daily rhythm. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'll often talk about like, you know, pets, Dogs, mm-hmm. especially if you change the time you feed the dog, it'll get diarrhea or something. Mm-hmm. You know, like all sorts of wacky stuff happens. You know? <clears throat> Humans are like that too. Maybe we're a little more resilient, a little more adapted. 
So you don't know, you don't get diarrhea immediately if you skip a meal or something. But when we introduce food and sleep and exercise at a similar time of day every day, it's almost like the body can relax. Right. Like, oh, I know we're going to sleep. I know we're going to eat. I right. know we're going to move. Right. Yeah. And we, you talked about grounding and how important that is. And to me, this whole idea about this regularity has a grounding quality to it. Going to bed at the same time, it's like a period at the end of the sentence, <clears throat> waking up at the same time, exercising more or less at the same time, eating your meals at the same time. It's a way of grounding all of that movement and that kind of airiness that which is one of the things, again, I love about Ayurveda. It's like, wow, here's something that you wouldn't think of as an important thing from a Western medical perspective. I don't think I've ever has said a doc, you know, had a doctor say, maybe, maybe if you have a sleep disturbance, they'll say, you know, the thing about going to sleep at the same time and waking up. But in general, this idea of the importance of the regularity, you know, and particularly in the winter, which I think is just, is so beautiful. It gives us, it opens up all of these possibilities for self-care that if you don't have these Ayurvedic principles, they don't necessarily make sense. Yes, exactly, exactly. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because what, one of my driving forces to write this most recent book is to help people understand why these routines are are important and, and how they work. So that, mm -hmm. that's inspired to do them. Right. So another really important practice, self-care practice, is abhyanga. And I also know that that is important all the time, but it's particularly important, I think, again, to deal with this dryness. So let's talk a little bit about Abhyanga. What is this Abhyanga, this um, self oil self-massage? Yeah, yeah. So I mentioned earlier oil, right, and fats, fats being the antidote to vata imbalance. And, and I said we use them internally as well as externally. So in the diet, we'll, we'll lean towards ghee and sesame oil in the wintertime. And that sesame oil is, is the favorite oil for application to the skin. Mm. So back to that sort of morning dinacharya practices, the, um, it's, it's, the Ayurveda texts describe the oil massage as the most important of all the practices. And it says that the one who practices oil massage daily can withstand hard work does not become tired and does not become diseased. Wow. So it's like, it makes us stronger. Right. Right. And it's, um, if I can just describe like how to do it, I'm sure everyone's wondering, right. It, it's, yeah. um, and this is the way to keep the skin from drying out. Mm -hmm. So this can be an antidote even to constipation to do, to do a oil massage. So it's generally done in the morning where the sweat pores, the innumerable number of sweat pores on the skin are also ready to release toxins that, that are the body kind of clears stuff out when we're sleeping at night, right? Mm -hmm. And so then in the morning, it's like the, the body's pushing all the toxins towards the, the, the outdoor, right? Right, which is why we need to poop, hopefully, in the morning, right? right? And also exercise, sweating, and oil massage will all purify through the organ of the skin. So we warm the oil. The sesame oil is the densest and the heaviest and the best in the wintertime, especially if we're dry. And you can warm it by just, like, standing the bottle of oil in, in a mug of hot water, right? Mm -hmm. And 
you, the interesting thing is that you oil the body before the shower. Right. Yeah. So you, you warm that up in the hot mug or, or a pot or something. Just takes a minute, you know, and then we oil the body and unlike lotion, oil actually needs to get kind of rubbed in. Mm -hmm. Right. So there's this massage element to it that stimulates the lymphatic fluid and kind of stuff moving. So you could just say simply it gets the blood moving. And so we start at the bottom of the ankles and move our way up towards the heart, right? Sort of mimicking the movement of the, the blood circulation. And we make round motions on our joints, like the ankles and the knees and the elbows, the wrists, and then long strokes on the bones, like mm-hmm. the, shape, the thighs, the sides, and then a clockwise circles on the belly, on mm-hmm. the abdomen. And this process can just take a few minutes or one can really luxuriate and continue to apply the oil to the body for, you know, 10 minutes or something. And the longer that the oil is on the body, the better. Mm-hmm. And so it does two things, right? It, it detoxifies and it also calms the nerves mm-hmm. because there's nerve endings all over the skin. Right. So you really have this, there'd be this antidote to that anxiety we've been talking about. Mm-hmm. So that warm oil goes on and it just feels like a nice soft blanket. Mm -hmm. And then you get in the shower after and the shower, that hot water from the shower is part of the process that kind of opens those sweat pores. Mm -hmm. And so that's where we get the detoxification element happening. Mm -hmm. And if someone is, is kind of excessively moist, they can wash all the oil off at that time. If there's dry skin and you kind of feel like we're going to need the moisture, then just kind of soaping the nooks and crannies with places where the oil might like kind of hang out and and be sticky. And uh, I don't recommend oiling the bottoms of the feet. It's not safe in the shower. Right. And it's a good idea. Just like a rule of thumb. I I do keep a little spray bottle of uh, my very mild soap, like Dr. Bronner's. And I spray that around the bottom of the shower. And that's just so other people in the family don't find it slippery. Right. Right. And I describe all this like in more detail in the book, but that's the general idea of how to right. do the oil massage. And it's, right. it really improves strength um, emotionally and mentally as well as physically. And is a great way to sort of seal the moisture into the body for, mm-hmm. for the rest of the day. So we're, because the skin otherwise is very exposed mm-hmm. and tendency to lose moisture throughout right. the day. That's so lovely to spend time on that and to know how important it is from an Ayurvedic perspective. So unbelievably, we've come to the end. And so we've just got about a minute to leave some words of encouragement or inspiration with our listeners. Yeah, I would, I'd like, I, I noticed that when, um, <clears throat> when we talk about daily rhythms, um, it's easy for one to, to hear that for our listeners and to think they need to do it all. And it's right. very overwhelming and right. like, I'm doing it all wrong. Oh my goodness. But the thing about these rhythms is that they're all linked together. Mm-hmm. So if you, if you just, the one thing I would say that, that you heard today that kind of hit you and you thought, I want to try that oil massage or I want to try um, sleep, getting to sleep at a similar time each night. Just, mm-hmm. I would suggest just the one thing, try the one thing and apply, apply oneself to the one thing. Mm-hmm. And then you're set up for success. 
and you don't have to do it all at once. It's actually kind of contraindicated to, to try to do it <laughs> all at once. Yeah. Yes. Changes. I just, I have seen people turn around like pretty progressed states of imbalance with just one simple thing and really being committed to, to that one change. Oh, such great advice because it is really complex and you, and it can be overwhelming. So that's the thing. Don't get discouraged. Pick that one thing that appealed to you. I love that advice and then do that. So with that, You've been listening to The Yoga Hour. It's been my pleasure to share this time with you. Dr. Laurel Trujillo, host and producer of the show. We've been discussing Ayurvedic self-care for natural healing with our guest, Kate O'Donnell, who teaches Ayurveda and Ashtanga Yoga and has authored the book we are talking about today, The Everyday Ayurveda Guide to Self-Care. Her website, again, is kateodonnell.yoga. And O'Donnell is a double N, double L, so D-O-N-N-E-L-L. So kateodonnell.yoga. Thank you so much, Kate, for joining me today on the Yoga Hour. Thanks, Laurel. So for listeners, we encourage you to join us for the many online programs offered by Yogacharya O'Brien and the Center for Spiritual Enlightenment, including morning meditation, which occurs daily from 6.30 to 7.30 a.m. Pacific time, afternoon meditation from 4 to 4.30 Pacific, and that is weekdays, and then uh, Sunday satsang from 10 to 11 on Sundays. So also join us for the 2020 Worldwide Meditation for the Holy Days with Yogacharya O'Brien and Kriya Yoga ministers from around the world. That's going to happen on Wednesday, December 23rd, 2020 from 9 a.m. to 6 p.m. So it's an all-day event. You can find out more about these online programs at csecenter.org or ellengraceobryan.com. So join us next time on the Yoga Hour for an episode entitled Embrace Wonder, Live a Happier, Healthier, and More Connected Life, when I'll be talking with Dr. Jonah Paquette, author of the new book, Awestruck. The Yoga Hour is a service project of the Center for Spiritual Enlightenment, a meditation center in the Kriya Yoga tradition. Remember to subscribe to the show. Thank you to the Yoga Hour team, assistant producers Anne Hayes and Mickey Coronado, CSE's global media outreach manager Holly Gray, and Jeff Comfort and Louis Pagan in the sound booth at Unity. I look forward to being with you again. Until then, remember, you carry your own healing and wholeness within you. Share your peace and joy with all you meet. Bye now. Thanks for listening. This is Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Sometimes you feel so alone and overwhelmed, you don't know where to turn. These days, it seems like there is no end to our problems. We invite you to connect with Silent Unity, the 24-hour prayer ministry where someone is waiting to pray with you right now. Since 1890, Silent Unity has always been there. No judgment or dogma, just someone affirming the best for you. Call 816-969-2000 today. You can also connect online at unityprayervigil.org.